welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Right now, Lord God, we open our hearts to hear from you. We open our minds, Lord God, to think about you, Lord God. We want to fall more in love with you, Father. Pray that every single one of us would move a step closer to you today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless God. Come and give someone a hug. We like to hug each other. Lots of hugs. Thanks, Musos. Thanks, guys. Well done. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. So exciting to be in church always. Praise God, all these good-looking young people all around me. Oh, it's wonderful. It's like, you know, when the older singers, you know, the older people and, you know, Madonna and all them, they're still going, but all the people around, they're all stunningly good-looking. That's kind of what we've got here going on on the stage, you know, <laughs> all the young musos. Praise God. So we are doing a series on Christianity 101, and we are just looking at the basics. So this is very basic teaching, and that's good for us all, isn't it? It's always good to go back to the basics. Meat and three veg, that's what we always used to have when we were kids. None of this fancy stuff. There was no avocado, no feta cheese, no, no, so- no soy sauce. Maybe not New Zealand. I think we might <laughs> Uh, but, but seriously, there was a lot of food. I mean, salad was like iceberg lettuce. There was no other lettuce, you know. There was, it was very basic back then. But, you know, we all survived. We're all healthy. We all actually played outside. That was good for you. So, so we're looking at Christianity 101, and today we're looking at the Bible. And my message today is, what is the Bible? Very simple. What is it? What is the Bible? Praise the Lord. So... Let's look at Psalm 1. It speaks about the blessing of the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't hang around with mockers and scornful people. Psalm 1 verse 2. This man is really happy. This one. He's really happy. The one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And they had a lot less of the Bible in those days than we do. He, de- he just loved it. He delights in it. This man is happy. And it goes on to say, this man is like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. He's fruitful. His leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. This is the one. The psalmist in 119 said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. All day All day long, he just loved the Word of God. He loved the Bible. And and that is my heart today is for us to just fall a little bit more in love with God by loving what he says. Because essentially the Bible is God speaking. It's God's Word. That's what it is. It's just God speaking and someone wrote it down. So when we love the Bible, we love God more. You know, when you with someone that you love. You just love the way they talk. You love hanging off every word. You love, 
You ever met people like that? It's like, oh, talk more, please, please. You just love their words because that reflects who they are. And the Word of God, and I've got a hard copy one here today, is God's heart and God's love letter to you. This is his love to you. This is his, how much he loves you. And, you know, God is more than capable of putting together a book. You can be sure that it's true and accurate. It's God's word. And we look at how it came together just briefly. He wrote it using 40 different men to write. So God inspired people who just felt to write down things and felt from God that this is what they were meant to write and it was directly from God and God is more than capable of inspiring people. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had that experience and a lot of artists and, and all sorts of people, they'll just say, you know, people write a song and go, oh, I just, it just came to me like, Whoa, you know? And I've had situations where people have asked me a question, quite a complex theological question. And I answer and then I go, wow, that was the best. Well, where did that come from? That was such a great answer. And I'm impressed with my answer, you know. And it wasn't, it was kind of like it wasn't me. It was just inspired. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just works through us. And I know artists and all sorts of people have that experience of people, business people. They wake up and they had a dream and they're inspired by God. So God inspired about 40 different men to write. There were all different kinds of men, kings, peasants, fishermen, academics, poets, Soldiers, farmers, prime ministers, they wrote all over the world, mainly, you know, not quite down to Australia, but Asia, Africa and Europe. They wrote in different places. Paul was in prison, Moses in the desert, Luke was travelling around Europe, John was in exile on the island of Patmos, Jeremiah was in the dungeon. Three different languages, Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic, 86 books linked together different kinds of books, history, law, songs, poetry, letters, prophecy, theology, all linked together, written over a span of about 1,500 years. It's incredible when you think about it. It should be an absolute mishmash of, of, of crazy weirdness and different ideas. And yet because God is the divine mind behind it, it just links together perfectly. It's incredible how amazing this Bible is. It's incredible. It's incredible that people were writing prophecies thousands of years before they happened and then they came to pass. People were writing about Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. People were writing about how he would die. It's just, it's incredible because it's God. And this is the word of God that he has given us and that we, we just love. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament was written by the Jews and originally for the Jews that God put them aside to, to show the world how he wanted to live, to show the world his morality. The Jews still use this Old Testament. They, that is still part of their sacred scripture. They call it, some of you probably know, the, the Torah, some sections of it, or the Tarak, all of it. And so that's why you know, we still have this sort of special relationship with the Jews because they're our, part of our history and we share... We share our sacred writings. Of course, they don't like the New Testament so much, but some of them do, some of them getting saved. So, so it's just incredible and it's absolutely 100% completely and true. Let me encourage you that this is the true history of the world. So the Bible is God's word and the Bible is the true history of the world. If you want to know what happened in the world, read this. If the, if the world and scientists or historians say anything else, they're wrong. Okay, they're wrong. Not this word. 
God is always right. You need to be really sure about that. I went to university and they, they, they had my, in my university book, my anthropology book, they had the first chapter of Genesis as a mockery. Unbelievable. I was just like, are you for real? It was actually in the textbook. Ha, ha, ha. And that right from then I went, well, you're wrong. Don't ever think that scientists and historians know better. They don't. They're wrong. And over years they are always proven to be wrong. The Bible is always proven to be right. They'll, the archaeologists say, oh, no, that didn't happen. And they go, oh, what do you know? Well, they've found the walls of Jericho and they're weirdly flattened down, just the way the Bible says. It's like, yeah. And they keep finding, archaeologists keep finding over and over again things that prove that the Bible was right. Ancient kings, the names of ancient kings, they find them. They found the name Abraham in Ur. They found Ur and they found the name Abram written there. Over and over again, this is true. Be sure of that. Because God is big. As if God would have a problem with writing the truth. As if, you know, as if, as if he sort of is like, oh, no, the scientists found out I was wrong. It's like, please, please. If scientists say anything about the creation of the world that doesn't agree with the Bible, scientists are wrong. And they are wrong regularly. Even in my lifetime. I used to have this little thing with Chris because I always get this feeling sometimes when they're wrong. I used to, when we first got married and they'd, I'd read something, I'd go, that's wrong. And you go, you don't know it's wrong. I go, yes, I do. Go, How do you know it's wrong? I go, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. It just used to really bug me. Sometimes they'd say, this is the truth. And I go, no, it's not. And then sometimes later on, like 10 years later, I would remember. And I go, look, babe, look what they've discovered. See? And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, do you remember we had that argument 10 years ago? And he's like, no, babe, I don't. I'm like, a little bit sort of fussy sometimes. So... They're wrong regularly. They really are. Every 10 years, they change everything. I mean, child raising. I can't believe it. They change everything. Every 10 years, they say, oh, don't put a child on their stomach. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'm like, oh, we all did, but whatever. So the Bible is the true word of God. If you want to know how to raise children, look at the Bible. If you want to know how the world began, look at the Bible. The Bible is true. The Bible is, this is my third point, a manual on all laws, all morality, and all true justice. The concept of law came from God. The concept of justice came from God. When he wrote the Ten Commandments, he showed us what was right and what was wrong. And those concepts were encoded and written in the very earliest of societies, the ones that followed God. And those societies were the ones that prospered most, that understood that murder was bad. The Bible shows us the difference between murder and manslaughter. The Bible laid down the early legal concepts the Bible laid down the value of life by saying, if you kill someone, you deserve to die. Some people think that the Bible is harsh. It's not harsh. It's just absolutely fair. Okay. If you steal $20 from someone, you owe them $20. If you take someone's life, you owe them life. Your life is forfeit. So the Bible made it very clear how precious life was because they showed you the punishment. It's not meant to be harsh. It's meant to show you life, the preciousness of life. Some primitive societies say, oh, it's okay to kill someone. So what? You can kill if you want to kill. And they don't understand the preciousness of life. But the Bible said, no, if you kill someone, you deserve to die. And that concept was to train us in righteousness and justice. The Bible says if you rape someone, you deserve to die. It seems strict to us now because we don't have those strict rules, but that's because the Bible wanted us to understand how precious our sexuality is. You can't steal that from someone. It's, it's incredibly precious. 
And so we look at that and we think it's strict, but it's laying down the law. But the Bible's so wonderful because then Jesus showed us grace. But you only have grace if you understand what the rules are. If you owe me 20 bucks and you don't understand that you're meant to pay me back, and I say, don't worry about paying me back, you say, why should I pay you back? I don't have to pay you back. It's like, you, but no, I'm being gracious. I don't believe in paying things back. It's like, what? You don't understand grace until you understand law. The Bible showed us law. So with law, we can then say, but we're going to be gracious and we're not going to kill you when you rape someone. We'll just, you know, put you in prison for a while. That's grace. You don't understand grace unless you understand law. So the Bible, it, it, it brought our minds, it trained the whole of society, the whole of the world on what the meaning of righteousness and justice there's a fabulous book, if you're interested in this sort of thing, which I just love. It's written by a guy called Vishal Mangalwadi, and I really recommend it. It's called The Book That Made Your World. And he, he, he's an Indian man, and he, went, he grew up under Indian concepts. And he says, the West has no idea that it's the Bible that created the civilization that has prospered. And as long as the West sticks with the Bible, we'll continue to prosper. But as we move away from it, so we won't prosper. He says things like this, the Bible promoted rationality because it informed the West that the ultimate reality behind the universe was a rational word of a rational and personal God. So when we pray to God, it's rational. It's like I share my rational heart and he understands me, he responds. So we understood the concept of rationality. Whereas a lot of societies, what they did was, and he's, this is what he did, he said, when I grew up, I went to the Buddhas and the monks, and the Buddhist monks, and they told me to empty my brain of all rationality, to empty my mind of rational thought and to focus on eternal emptiness. He said, and to say an empty word with no meaning because there, in meaning was, there was no meaning. There's no meaning out there. So they just go, um, nothing. He says, what do you think that did to our society when we say the ultimate meaning is nothingness? He says, just, just put your flags on the, in a tree and let them flutter in the wind. There's no response. There's no God. This is all from the word of God. This is how fabulous this is, how wonderful we've learned all of these things. Listen to Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. There it is, training our soul how to be, how to think, how to feel. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Simple people become wise when they read the Bible. Simple societies become wise. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. By keeping them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. How wonderful. How wonderful that the, the, the psalmist just loved the word so much, they understood how precious it was. And sweeter than honey. You know, honey's sweeter than sugar, actually. Yeah, it's very, very sweet. So it was just like the sweetest, yummiest thing they had around at that time. But we need to all desire the Word of God more than that. We need to just love the Word. We need to just want to read it all the time, to desire it and, and be filled with the Word of God, whether it's learning the history or, or re feeding on the Psalms. We need to love it so much to desire it. More to be desired are they than gold, than your money, than your salary. You want to read the Bible more than your salary. That means if you have a job that makes it too busy for you to pray and read the Bible, your job is too busy because the Bible says desire this more. This is a greater wisdom than even your job. 
If you get into the Word of God and you find the right job, and of course we've all got to work, but some jobs just eat you up, give you nothing left. Don't have a job like that. Have a job that gives you room to live. And the first thing you need to do to live is to, to seek God and, and be with Him and get into His Word. God's Word is perfect. It's beautiful. There's, I, look, all these different laws. All morality, so it tells us what, how we ought to live, tells us what's right, what's wrong, all true justice, all laws. The Jews said that Deuteronomy 22 and 6 was the least of the laws in the Old Testament. The Jews in, the, in Jesus' time, they kind of rated the laws. And this was the least, they said. They actually, had, they actually found it out. Deuteronomy 22, 6, I have to read this one. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way in a tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or the eggs, don't take the mother if you need the eggs. That was the least of their laws. And I'm just like, oh, God, I just, I just love it so much. Like already there, it's so beautiful, his care for every creature, his care for the environment way before there were greenies. He's saying, look, I understand you need eggs to eat, but don't take the mother. Don't take the bird because then the bird won't be able to make more eggs and we won't be able to reproduce. Isn't that just, just the care of that, just the understanding and the beauty of that? It's so wise. And, and actually, I was just looking at a few of these other ones. If you see your brother's donkey falling on the road and hide yourself, don't do that. Surely help them and lift them up. Help. If you see your brother's donkey, you see an animal, you see their car, don't stop and help. I mean, it's just so beautiful and simple. Verse 5, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man nor a man to a woman because this is disgusting in the, in the eyes of the Lord. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Gender issues, even back then, you know, it's incredible. Like God's word, like you want it, you think, what does God say about gender issues? Well, there it is. It's incredible. Listen to this one. If you build a new house, put a, put a railing around the roof. They had flat roofs so that you don't bring guilt on your household if anyone falls off it. WHS, I can't believe it. There it is. I mean, seriously. It's a real, like, that's why our society says you are responsible to make your world safe for other people. Don't just have a roof and think, oh, I don't care if they fall off. Care about your neighbours. Care about people around you. It's in the Bible. It's incredible. And this is the sort of thing that this guy in his book points out, that in some societies that kind of care was not promoted. It was like he, he tells a story of visiting this child who they said, I can't take her to the hospital because I don't have the money and I can't get there. And it's like, she'll just have to die. It was like, that he's like, what, what, why do we have this concept in our society and the West does not? Because we grew up hearing this. This is, this is the basis of our society. And we're, we're lost if we lose it. We really are. So the Bible is amazing on everything. Any issue, any law, anything, look it up. Search the scripture. It's all in there. Be hungry and find out what it says. It's really easy these days because you just got to go on Google. What does the Bible say about this? And all these scriptures come up on Open Bible. So easy. Mate, back in the old days, you had to get these concordances out and it was quite hard. It's easy to search the Bible now. The Bible is God's grand revelation of salvation for all mankind. Now, Chris spoke about this last week, so I won't go into it too much. But, you know, the Bible shows us the, this incredible plan that God had to rescue us all and take us all to heaven. That's his plan. So that's exciting. I love the story about, that Spurgeon shares about 
Mr Thorpe of Bristol back in the early 20th century. Back in those days, they had a club called the Hellfire Club. So, you know, people have always been mocking Christianity and laughing at us. And this particular group did exactly that. They mocked and laughed at Christians. And they, one, Mr Thomas, Mr Thorpe went to hear George Whitfield, who was the Billy Graham of his day, preaching the gospel. And then he came to his meeting the next day to mock him and what the way they would do that was he'd write down the notes and he'd get up and preach just like George Whitfield in a mocking way and they'd all laugh and that was their little club like sounds so strange but anyway that's what they did and so he it said he delivered the Whitfield sermon with wonderful accuracy imitating his tone and manner and mocking him preaching the scriptures that Whitfield used in the middle of his talk when he's mocking him and using the word of God, he became convicted. The word of God convicted him as he was mocking. He came to a sudden pause. He sat down brokenhearted and confessed that he was a sinner and he needed to be saved. I love that. Don't mess with the word of God. People read the Bible. I mean, Lee Strobel famously, you know, wanted to prove that it wasn't true and started to search about it and find out about it and ended up getting saved. Like, this stuff is powerful. You think you can mock the Bible? You start looking into it. It will change you because the Bible itself is powerful. So anyway, the club was dissolved. They had to stop the club. (laughs) Praise God. The Bible is a father's instruction and wisdom about life. It's instruction and wisdom about life. Joshua 1.8. This is what Moses said. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you are careful to do according to all that is written in it because then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Now Moses was passing on the baton to Joshua who was about to take the promised land. He was about to go into Canaan and claim this land that they owed, that that God had said was theirs. But it was a time of war. It would involve warfare. Joshua would have to go in and fight, literally physically fight the people that God said it's time for them to go. And that's another story. But isn't it interesting what Moses said to him, to his protege? He didn't say... Mate, this is how you use a sword. Make sure you've got, you know, your, your guys around. He didn't give them, it's not military advice here. He's not saying this is, this is how you're going to defeat them. I mean, it, they, were, they were literally fighting. You know, we do spiritual warfare, but they were physically fighting. And yet he said, what you really need is the word of God. This will give you victory. This is where the victory is, in the Word of God. Even for a soldier who's physically fighting, the Word of God will, sh- will give you wisdom and strength and courage because the Word of God is powerful. Look here in 2 Timothy 3.16. I love this scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible, it says here that it's the, the Word of God is... Well, it's actually a slightly different one, but it's just very powerful. It's profitable. It, gets, it opens our hearts. When we read the Bible, it, it says things to us. It shows us things, but it actually, it's not just that we read it and we understand things. It actually has power. It actually goes inside of us and convicts us. It actually makes us realise, 
oh, I need to change. It's a, it's a live, it's, it's, a li- it's a living spiritual force. And when we read it, there are spiritual things that go on inside of us. So it's not just a mental force. It's not like another book where it's like, that's interesting. It doesn't just go in here, it goes in here. And it changes us and it rebukes us. It corrects us. It makes us, you know, scriptures will come into your head and say, don't do that. I, had, I was experiencing a battle against fear recently and, and then the scripture came into my heart, fear not, for I am with you. I'm like, okay. You know, it's like God just says, no, don't do that. I'm like, right. So then I had to go to the Bible and say, how do you not fear when you feel like you're fearful? Like, how do you do that? So I go into the Bible and what does the Bible say? So God's word actually comes into you and tells you how to deal with things. He tells you, he changes you on the inside. I remember we had issues with neighbours at one stage and they were very noisy and difficult and unpleasant. They were having fights. So the Bi- go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? How do you deal with neighbours? Well, first of all, love your neighbours. So we tried to love them and we did nice things to them and I asked them to church and all kinds of friendly things. But, um, but then it also says, Isaiah thirty two eighteen, my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwelling and quiet resting places. So I got that scripture. I said, God, this is not quiet. Like they were screaming at, in the middle of the night with their, with their fights. And, and I, I said, you, you said we can live in a quiet place and we can sleep. This isn't quiet. So I got the scripture. I prayed the scripture. I, I, I spoke quietness over our suburb and eventually those sweet people moved along and nice quiet people moved in. And so you, the word of God was great to get rid of noisy neighbours. I mean, what issue have you got? You know, They're every single issue you want to find out about marriage, family, children, education, work, finance, temptation, sin, church, just read the Bible. It's all there. There's, there's nothing that you can't find that's not in the word of God. So the Word of God is a sword to slice out sin, fear, attack and temptation. The Word of God in Hebrews 4.12 says this, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And also in Ephesians, it says, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So... There is an element of warfare in our world and we need to have a sword. So the Word doesn't just train us, explain to us, help us, teach us. It is actually a weapon that we need to learn to use. I really love this. I find it very exciting, the concept of a, of a weapon. When I was growing up, my father uh, had a Turkish sword that hung above his desk that his father picked up off a Turk in the war and brought it home. And we kept it as a, a sort of a family thing, this Turkish sword that just, so I just, it was just part of my growing up. I can just see dad working away at his desk with the sword that was hanging above him. And he said, where did you get the sword? He said, my father picked it up off a Turkish soldier in the war. And it was just one of those stories. And I remember asking him about his father and what his father did. His father, <laughs> this is completely irrelevant, but his father decided he wanted to be a dentist so he wasn't a dentist, but he managed to wangle his way into the dental core. And he said they used to get, that's why he picked it up, they used to get bits of metal and then melt it down and stick it into people's teeth during the war. So anyway, came back and trained up as a dentist, my grandfather. So, but the Turkish sword just hung there and it was a decoration for, for my entire growing up. So that's nice, but it's not of much value, is it? I mean, these swords are designed to be used. 
It just sat there. I think even when you when we first got was it still was it still there when we got married? I know. Don't ruin my story, darling. You're never allowed to ruin a story. So anyway, but was it there? It was there? You saw it. So it was just. But this look. This is absolutely useless to you if it's sitting on your bedside table and you're not reading it every day. It's not killing any Turks. God bless them. We don't kill them now, but. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's war, isn't it? It's not, not very nice, but, but that's the reality of it. But it, you're not killing any issues if you are not opening this Bible every single day and if it's not sharp. Sharp. Sharp means it's up to date. It's like ready now. It's right now. You can't deal with anything. Just having it there in your house, in your bookshelf. A lot of people on the bedside table. I've heard of wives, God bless them. They say, my husband doesn't read the Bible. I go, how do you know? And go, because I put it just so. And it hasn't moved for a week, I can tell. Or they, they do little tricks. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's really going to work. But anyway, so it's not going to help you. It's not going to help you to come to church and say, well, Ruth preaches the Bible. It's like, yeah, I got a sword. Do you have a sword? Because you're going to need one too. Every soldier needs their weapons. And if you're a soldier, you know you've got to keep your weapons sharp. You've got to keep onto it. You've got to be able to take it all apart and put it together. That's part of being a soldier is knowing your weapons. So make sure that you know how to use this. Make sure that every issue in your life, you've gone to the Word of God, you've got the Scripture, you've written it out, you're diligent about this. You know, if you're sick, what are your Scriptures on sickness? If you need guidance, what is your Scripture? You know, you should know. I will teach you and guide you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Bam! Like the sword needs to be ready. It needs to be hot. It needs to be happening. Because this is, this is your weapon. How do you think that he would have gone, my grandfather, if he just went up to the Turk and was like, I haven't got a weapon? I mean, in warfare, it's like, we're not being nice. Like the idea is who kills the most people, you know? It's not very nice. But if you've got no weapon, it's like, oh, well, off you go. Do you know what I mean? As, as Hal Oxley famously said at our dinner table, we had this lovely old soldier for dinner once. We said to the kids, this man was actually in the war. Ask them some questions, children. Hudson says, what's it like to kill someone? And we're like, oh, okay, straight to it. And he goes, oh, well, you've got to get on with it. You know, it's him or me. Just get on with it. And we were like, right, okay, next question. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, we're in a war. And I'm telling you, you're going down if you haven't got your weapon. So don't just sort of think you can stand there and you can go to the counsellors, you can go to the, the pastors, you can do whatever you like, but at some point you're going to have to fight, okay? At some point you're going to have to get a weapon out and fight because you're, at some point you're going to be alone and it's you and God and your sword. And it's not hard because Jesus has already won the victory. It's not like we're all on our own. He says we've got the victory. He just wants to teach us to stand up. He's won. We're just kind of, I don't know, just finishing off for ourselves. So the Word of God is a sword. Use that sword. And eventually my dad got the revelation kind of weirdly. So he got the sword off. He decided he was been sitting up there long enough and he started to use it in the garden. And so what's a sword if it's not being used? And so he used to slash the weeds. So that was how the sword ended up dying. This is probably worth a lot of money. But dad decided to slash weeds with it until it rot, you know, rusted and rotted and he threw it away. So that was the end of the Turkish sword. But, I mean, you know, at least it got used, which is, you know, it could have been used in a different way. But that was just my cute dad getting rid of his family heirloom. So with the gardening. But, I mean, the point remains, use your swords. Don't hang them on the wall. You never know... 
I mean, I can't, I've got so many great stories about how I've had to use the Bible on the spot. And I was just trying to debate, like, which one? I'm so excited. Couldn't decide which one. You've heard them all, but, you know, I'll say them again. Um, so I thought I'd go with this one <clears throat> about a time when we were living in, on a property in Terrigal. We had, um, we were building a house that we're living in and the builder went bankrupt. So that was a great story. God provided us with this beautiful property to live on at a very great price, essentially free. And, um, and we lived there on this property for a couple of years while our house turned into a sort of a neighbourhood ghost house. <laughs> but God was very good and blessed us right through it. And it was lovely to, for the kids to live on a property, this great property for a while. And uh, so the neighbours were not close, you know. It was sort of, what are they, five acre blocks or something. So they were all quite far away. And one night Chris was away and I was getting ready for bed and I was just alone in the house with the children and for some reason, I just got a bit creeped out. I just got like, I got suddenly scared. And I didn't, I don't know why. Every now and again, you know, it was just a spirit of fear or something. And I felt really scared. And I started to think about, what if like, what if someone came to this house, like wanted to rob me or something? Like, no one could hear me scream. No one could hear, I realized, they couldn't hear. I realised that no one would hear me. I was all alone with the children and no one could hear me scream. It sort of, I just got a bit nervous about that. And, and I, my, my thoughts were sort of started to go on a very unpleasant place. And I'm thinking, what would I do? How would I rescue my children? And I just, it was scary and stupid to be thinking like that. But then the word of God came to me and it was like the Holy Spirit. And he convicted me. And because I, I love the word, I memorise it, it just came straight to me. Whatever is true, Ruth, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, think about these things. Think about this. And I was convicted. The word of God convicted me. It changed me. And I'm sitting there going, these thoughts in my head right now are not, well, they're not true. They're not noble. They're not right. They're not pure. They're not good. I need to get them out of my head. And, and obey the Word of God. The Word of God is useful when you obey it. It's no good to just disobey it. So I, I, I remember thinking, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those thoughts away. And I, I was already halfway along this horrible path, so I thought what I'll do is I'll finish it off in a good way. So I thought I will tell them the gospel, these two guys that were going to, you know, attack us. I'll tell them the gospel and they'll fall on their knees and they'll get saved. And I'll go now, go now, but come to church on Sunday. And I went, okay, great. And then I, I thought that, that just sort of finished it off and I finished in a good place and God protects me and the angel of the Lord counts around those who fear him and rescues them and all of my great scriptures. We're all good. And then I felt great. Got rid of those thoughts, obeyed the word of God, replaced it with the word of God and went to bed happy. So that's what we need to do. So the next day, I happened to be speaking to the neighbours who lived up there and there was a bit of kerfuffle, kerfuffle and there was a few people there so the, the, neighbor, the lady came down and said to me, did I hear anything last night? I said, no. And she said, well, we were robbed last night and I just got this little shiver up my spine. I went, really? She said, yeah, yeah, around about the same time I was thinking about it. We were robbed. There was two men that came into our house and robbed us. And I was just wondering if you heard anything because they had cameras out the front of their house apparently. So they went out the back of our house and they went through your property. That's how they escaped, through, the, through your property. And I'm just like, really? She said, yeah. Did you hear anything? And I went, no. And I was just like, oh. And I just sort of went home and went, 
what was that, God? What was that? And I, I believe that my spirit was picking up a disturbance in my area. You know, something was wrong and I felt it. And even two men, it was like, oh, I, I felt it. And my heart was frightened and my mind picked up on it. And I was sort of opening my heart and my mind. And I believe even our house to that fear and fear is dangerous. You need to fear not, as God said. And I'm opening myself to that fear. And that's why the Holy Spirit said, stop that, close that door spiritually and close that fear and proclaim the protection of God around your property, which is what I did. And those guys never touched us, never came near us. But, you know, the Holy Spirit showed me all of this by the Word of God. We've got to have it ready in our life, in our heart, to use in these situations and we will all have situations like that and the Bible is a sword it can destroy fear it can destroy temptation when it comes to you and we all get tempted by various things it can destroy sickness and disease it's a sword it works you've got to use it and you've got to be diligent in it So let me encourage you to use it to be diligent you know I know Linda Brady is awesome at the moment she she's got a reminder on her phone and she says all day long the phone reminds her and brings up the Word of God. She's just all day listening to the Bible because she's needing it to fight. So that's the way we've got to be. Praise the Lord. The Bible is a sword. And I just want to finish off by saying that the Bible is the bread of life. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word, you can't, you can't even, he's saying food isn't enough. It, it, it's, it's your very spiritual food. You will starve if you're not in the word of God. Praise the Lord. Now, every single one of those things that the Bible is, and there's more, I could preach on a whole message. I mean, it's so amazing. My encouragement to you today is to be sure that you love this word that your scripture is, as the psalmist said, his delight is the word of God. Love this. Love this word so much because this has got so much for you. This is your food, your sword, your life, your light. This is, it's all here because this represents God. So let's love the word. Let's make a renewed commitment to search the word, to read the word, to study the word, everything, and get into it. Amen. Praise God. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.